0: So Buddhists actually, in Asia, didn't call themselves Buddhists, uh, at least in India and Tibet. They called themselves followers of the Dharma. Hindus were also followers of the holy Dharma. Or they called themselves in Tibet insiders, because one explanation is they were interested in what was going on inside, inside oneself, deep inside oneself. So there are two important uh, things to keep in mind as we talk about the cultivation of, of compassion and good qualities in general, two things. One is that Buddhists particularly, actually throughout the Buddhist tradition, there's a whole thread of teachings that emphasize that we're already good, actually. Uh, starting with an early sutra that says, the mind is luminous. The mind is, in its natural state, actually perfect. This is a presence in all traditions and it grows stronger and stronger as Buddhism develops in India and Tibet. So on the one hand, we have natural orientation toward wisdom, compassion, other good qualities, On the other hand, we also need training because those qualities, while available and even for most of us, preferable, aren't necessarily cooking right there on the top of the stove of our experience in daily life. We know that. We get angry. We get uh, overly attached. We get jealous. We get obsessed with our own problems to the exclusion of anyone else's. So this is also recognized. So we have these two faces, you could say, and throughout the Buddhist tradition, we have ways of reckoning with, describing, and coming in contact with this, these two faces, we could say. Our inherent perfection, Buddhists call it Buddha nature. Mind is pure, the mind is clear. And on the other hand, our bad habits, which interfere with the aliveness of these good qualities. So in the context that we are definitely capable of fruitional experience, that is to say, we are definitely capable of cultivating something like compassion. You know, we might, in our culture, feel that, well, either you're a nice person or you're not. Um, And Buddhists don't really take that position we take the position that we are all capable of developing. And that's rather the same position that neuroscience takes nowadays. You may know brain plasticity, relatively recent discovery. I think we've talked about it. Here in the last 10 or 15 years, er, one's brain is always changing. That means that one's learning, including behavioral learning, including things like having positive intentions, actually measurably change the brain. So I say sometimes that's kind of like the modern scientific version of Buddha nature. We can change. There's that optimism at the heart of the intention to practice. But there's also realism, which is to say that we need to train. There are three trainings that are talked about in the Buddhist tradition that you may be familiar with. Training in a higher... Qualities of attention, technically called higher meditative stabilization. It means developing the capacity to be present, clear, attentive. The mindfulness that we hear so much about nowadays is uh, on the path to that. This is uh, perhaps a more settled, more open state of, of being. So meditative stabilization, we can think of it as attention. Uh, there is also the cultivation of good behavior. Good behavior. What is good behavior? Uh, referred to as ethics or the vinya in the Buddhist traditions. Good behavior is minimally not harming others. Not harming others with our physical actions. Not harming others with our speech, which is probably for most of us the most challenging. Most of us probably are relatively easy not to kill or steal or uh, harm people physically, mostly, but uh, harming with words comes very easily, so we train not to do that. And also, uh, harming, having harmful thoughts is something that we also consider important. It's not just enough to, you know, have a nice demeanor, but practitioners really Develop the courage and habit of looking inside. What have I done today at the end of the day? What did I do that was eh, not so nice? What did I do that was changing my habits when I was in a situation where I might have just bickered with somebody? I took two deep breaths and I quieted down and we were able to have a conversation. So meditative stabilization, Oh, so ethics or good conduct means don't harm, at the very least don't harm. That's a whole practice to look at the ways in which we live that harm others. And wisdom. Wisdom means knowing you're not the only person in the universe and not the center of it. And knowing also that we make up a lot of what we think is true. About how important and real our our own uh, self is, so in terms of meditative stabilization, in terms of conduct, in terms of wisdom, compassion is important in every one of these. It requires attention, it certainly is all about not harming and helping if possible, and it is actually the essence of wisdom itself. So in talking about compassion, we're talking about a very, very central practice, a very, very central way of mind training. Mind training means what it sounds like. It means that we decide, we recognize that yes, I am not as um, kindly or maybe not as relaxed uh, as I, I feel would be optimum, recognize that. I'm going to see if I can make some progress to becoming more like what I I think is possible. When we cultivate compassion, right now I'm using compassion as quite a big word to cover um, a number of qualities. In mind training, one of the things that's quite important is to be quite precise about what we mean, what we are training, what we are in and what we are trying to cultivate. Uh, at 11 o'clock, as you know, many of you, we sing the four boundless thoughts, the four boundless aspirations. So in the cultivation of what will it take for me uh, to become less harmful and more helpful? Well, in one way, that's a very personal thing, right? We Bless you, we all have our own habits. We all have our own proclivities, and one of the reasons it's good to have uh, friends who are practitioners and teacher is to get a little reflection sometimes. You know, (laughs) you were really out of bounds when you chewed out so-and-so just for not tying their shoes. Um, Somebody who can give us a little reality testing on our own behavior in a kindly way. One of the uh, challenges of this kind of practice, which I'll just say at the very beginning, is of remaining kind to yourself. This is really a very big deal because we say, okay, I want to become more kindly, I want to become more compassionate, and then I fail, I screw up, I get angry, I forget about the whole thing for weeks at a time. there's a tendency then to scold oneself. Oh, I'm bad, I'm bad, I'm bad. And in cultivating kindliness, it's very important to cultivate this for oneself. This is different from selfishness, narcissism, and self-centeredness. This is recognizing, I'm a human being, I have potential, I have faults. In this, I'm like everyone else. It's actually the possibility of being humble and recognizing our own challenges and our own faults that's going to open the way for us to be able to tolerate this in other people. Put that in your mind. When you find yourself irritated with someone, just possibly, it's what you're getting irritated at is something that you have not yet allowed yourself to recognize as something that you do or at least would like to do. It's a little tricky that way. But kindness to oneself as a practitioner, it's different from self-indulgence. It's different from coddling. It's recognizing that I'm a person who has pain. I cover up that pain by being a loudmouth or being too shy or being angry or being overly excited about what other people are doing. Desire, hatred, attachment. But if I just come back to my own experience, I recognize that receiving kindness has been one of the most important things in my whole life. And so as practitioners, we take time, we take a moment, and you might take a moment now in your own way. When did you experience some kindness? doesn't have to be the biggest moment in your life. Maybe from a parent, maybe from a relative, maybe from a friend, maybe just a smile, a kind word, somebody willing to listen. Just a moment of kindness that you can recall. And in recalling that, notice how that affects you. It was part of practice, is noticing how things affect us. We're not always charging ahead, trying to do and do and do. We we stop and we notice. How does this affect me? Well, when I think of how my teacher sat up in the middle of the night when I mistakenly went into his room thinking he was awake and said, well, what can I do to help you? Instead of being angry or go away, I'm sleeping. There's nothing like that. Kaisen Samba Rimpache, some of you met. He was... Quite elderly at that time, he had worked hard. It was 2.30 in the morning, his wife had told me, oh, I needed something in the room, and she'd, oh, no, it's okay, he's he's up. So I went in, he wasn't up. But he sat up immediately and, and he just said in the sweetest voice, what can I do to help you? So I remember that. And hopefully you have your own memories. And I noticed that I feel, you know, just somehow softer a little more relaxed, and a little happier. It feels nice, it feels nice to remember that this kind of kindness was, was given to me. That's a very important noticing. You know, sometimes practice is about noticing things that we already know and we don't think we need to bother to really sit with. Yeah, yeah, I know I like it when people are kind to me. But if you really give yourself a moment, wow, that was wonderful. It is like sunshine on a cloudy day, no? To have this memory. So I would like to be more like that, the gift of kindness that I have received from others. Once I sit still a little bit long enough, use my attention the kind of attention and presence that we practice here, to notice my own experience, I realize what a gift, what a gift kindness is. How can I be more like that? Noticing how much we enjoy, need kindness, we have this wonderful phrase, the milk of human kindness. Right, we know just in our own language that kindness is profoundly nourishing. It's life saving actually. We couldn't live. We wouldn't live as children, we wouldn't live now if there wasn't some modicum of, you know, good behavior, kindler kindly behavior among us as a group. It's the stuff of life. So recognizing that I want this so much. I can make a connection. This is how other people also feel. And the Buddha famously said, as some of you may remember, he said, when I think about all the people throughout space, I realize that no one is more dear to me than myself. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and likewise, so is everyone to their own self, dear. In other words, we don't ignore the concern and love and cherishing that we have for ourselves. This is something natural. We use it as a a stepping stone to, oh, this is how everybody else feels too. I'm not the only one in the universe. So we cultivate the quality as part of the process of developing ultimate love and compassion. We cultivate a quality of equanimity. Equanimity from two points of view. From my, own, everyone is, from my own point of view, everyone is just like me in wanting to be happy and not wanting suffering. That's so simple intellectually. But to get it in the heart is kind of a palpable shift. So when we practice, we reflect on this. Oh, everybody's just like me. Everybody's just like me, the people who I don't know, people whose cultures I don't understand, whose language I don't understand, whose body English I don't understand. Doesn't matter, they're like me in this particular way. So there's a sense of closeness. Sense of closeness is also very important for cultivating love and compassion. So from my point of view, everybody is in that sense equal. From their point of view, they're also equal. Everybody feels I want happiness, I don't want to suffer. Even every one of us a flame is burning. May I not suffer, may I be happy? And this flame is the same in everyone. And whatever our differences, this this sameness is more profound. So we cultivate equanimity, recognizing that we it makes a lot of sense and we will aspire and we will train to feel equally oriented to hoping that everyone has happiness, that everyone is free of suffering. This changes everything. It opens to a sense of closeness with others and it requires a sense of closeness with others. Even though we may not understand anything about a person's background or culture, childhood, we can know this and we can, you know, Dalai Lama says, I always treat as see everybody as brother and sister. Everybody's brother and sister. Human beings, we're brothers and sisters and actually we really are now we, <laughs> we learn more and more about, you know, the, what's the word, Iacondral Eve, the, we have the same great, 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 we really are one family and how we forget that and in a way how shocking that is. So we need to remind ourselves sense of closeness is quite important to cultivate. Yeah. It is part of what we cultivate when we cultivate a love and compassion. Love specifically uh, is a wish that oneself and others be happy and that they have the causes of happiness, which turn out to be qualities like gratitude and um, kindliness. These are actually causes of happiness. Compassion specifically, it's the other side of the coin, but as practitioners, we can make a distinction in cultivating equanimity, just very briefly described right now, love, a wish that others have happiness. Now we feel this very naturally for some people. Our family or your friend says, I've got to take a test, I've got a new job, and we go, yay, fantastic. People we don't like, we're in competition with, they don't like us, they get a job, they have some good fortune, Ha, we don't like it at all. (laughs) Now we have to notice that. When we notice that, that is a sign of recognizing our own lack of equanimity. Wonderful thing to notice. I'm not equanimous. I am actually not equally happy when everybody has good fortune. Compassion is the wish that people be free from suffering. It's a little different, right? Being free from suffering is not identical with being happy. So... In mind training, we try to get quite precise about what we are cultivating. And joy is taking joy and really taking joy and delight in whatever good fortune people have. It's specifically an antidote to jealousy, which is nice. Jealousy, really corrosive, right? Really hard, hard thing to deal with. As is So these four qualities can develop as we, first of all, have the aspiration to develop that mind goes beyond before all things, says the Dhammapada. First thing we need is our intention. Maybe we're inspired by someone's kindness, maybe your parents, maybe you have a mentor, maybe you had a teacher, maybe you've read about or seen on television people who inspire you, religious leaders, real religious leaders who are champions of of kindness and compassion and, and, and how to bring that forth in the world among people who are very different in some ways, but not in this most basic way. We aspire, and then we reflect, just as we did a moment ago. What does kindness feel like? It feels good to receive. It also feels very good to give, actually. And we have the practice that you may know of giving and receiving. We'll introduce it for a few moments at 11 since we're talking about it today. We send out good, good vibes, beautiful light, good wishes, however you like to feel into it, feeling that with your exhale, you're sending something positive out to specific people and then to everyone. And with your in-breath, that you are relieving them of some suffering. You may not know what it is. You might imagine that it has some particular color or substance, however it makes it real for you. You imagine that you're inhaling away their suffering. And that comes into you and dissolves completely, and along with dissolving completely, it also dissolves your own sense of tremendous self-importance, which turns out to be the biggest cause of our own suffering. So these principles, cultivating a sense of wanting to be kind to others, and then going about some particular aspect of mind training, Perhaps the first, equanimity is actually usually the first thing cultivated. And this involves, as I've said, feeling that other people in a deep way, in a meaningful way, are just like you. Yes, there are differences. But those differences pale in comparison to this profound, heartfelt recognition that, yes, we want to be happy. Remember when you're happy how much you like it? You want more of it? That's what we live for, isn't it? We try to be happy. We might not admit it, but it's what we want. And just to recognize that everyone else wants this too, that their hearts are lit up with the same longing as your heart. And then if that kind of comes alive for you, you know, there's a difference between thinking and feeling. And in this kind of practice, we. We have our intention, and we have our reflection, and then something lights up, like it did for me a moment. No, I was just telling a story for a moment about my teacher, and I was just telling it. And then, in one moment, unexpectedly, I was really there and really touched, right? So this will happen also for you. It doesn't take long. And then you just rest in that feeling of whatever it feels like to you a little relaxation, a little ease, a little heart opening, whatever it feels like to you. And that's how we cultivate. That's how we do mind training. We call forth uh, a feeling through reflection, through memory, through stories. Sometimes reading a story will bring forth tremendous sense of compassion or love or delight. And you can put the book down and just stay with the delight. Because these are qualities, these are part of the spectrum of our, you know, affective states, our emotional states as as living beings, and it's important to be able to touch into them. So to cultivate compassion, we might begin with equanimity, and in cultivating equanimity, we also touch into our own feelings, the way in which we want what we want. Recognizing that everyone else wants what they want, too. And may they have it. May they have their happiness. May I not harm. May I help. Honestly, it feels good just to say this. <laughs> <No>? <laughs> it changes the, the inner landscape a little bit. That's mind training. Your mind has shifted. These shifts are important. We don't go from zero to full-on universal compassion in one moment, in one day necessarily, although we might tap into it just like that, but to sustain it, that's our project. So that's what Dharma practice is, to hold oneself in a way that becomes more and more natural, more and more delightful, more and more supportive of goodness in oneself, goodness in others, kindness in the world. Okay. If you enjoyed this teaching, please visit our website donmountain.org to subscribe to this course and find other great dharma offerings. May all beings always have happiness and its causes. May all beings always be free of pain and its causes.